It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Senator James Langford's queuing up. He'll be with us shortly. We're happy to have him. Of course, we got that great KRMG affiliate over in Oklahoma uh, where he reigns. And we have Lieutenant Colonel Alan West about the decision coming up on May 1st in Afghanistan where he served as well as uh, domestic politics. Guess what? Governor DeSantis getting criticism from people like The View uh, and others. While all he's done is keep his state open, allowed things to flourish. In two weeks, they're going to have their first capacity crowd sporting event, the UFC, where they just had a Super Bowl a short time ago. Uh, just jealousy, that's all it is, while our Governor Cuomo continues to languish. And uh, we have a recall happening with Gavin Newsom, the two golden children of the Democratic Party. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Last summer, Dr. Mark Eskett, the medical director for the Austin Public Health System, put it this way. I know that at three feet, there's about an 80% reduction of the transmission of the disease. So it's not actually new information. It was ignored information. And we made policy on the basis of bad information. Do you believe this? What we were saying yesterday, what Tucker talked about last night. We are now to believe when it comes to COVID-19, six feet apart is now three feet apart. The spreads on services, now it doesn't spread on services. Lockdown, only way to show and explain, uh, the only way to beat this pandemic, explain Florida, explain Texas, how their numbers are as good, if not better, than the lockdown states and what's happening over in Europe. Widespread success everywhere, lockdowns, most places, but yet we continue to see that the lockdowns don't work. Let's talk about human behavior. Number two. Yeah, normally Victor Davis Hanson would be speaking, uh, and he'd be talking about Joe Biden's agenda. It gets scarier by the day. Looming infrastructure on purely party, party lines. I'll give you that in a second. Massive oil and gas lease cancelizations in Louisiana. And now tax hikes on deck. Defense cuts are rumored. A combination that could blow up this nation like a time bomb that would explode and detonate after Biden bows out. Number one. We recognize this is a big problem. Uh, the last administration uh, left us a dismantled uh, and unworkable system. And like any other problem, uh, we are going to do everything we can to solve it. No, you're not. And you aren't. And it wasn't broken. Kids, cartels and chaos. That's the lethal mix of the border as a Republicans, a Republicans jet to see for themselves how bad this actually is in Arizona, New Mexico uh, and Texas and California. The Biden administration's answer, blame Trump. I'm not buying it. I don't think you're buying it. Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma, he's on the Homeland Security Committee and Finance uh, Committees as well. He was just on the Arizona border this weekend. Senator, welcome. Hey, thanks, Brian, very much. Listen, you can blame President Trump on a lot of things, and everyone does. Sometimes I have to apologize later, like the Washington Post did today, yesterday. But you can't blame him for the border situation left to the Biden administration, can you? 
Yeah, there's no way you can actually do that. He was improving the border situation significantly, and the policies that he put in place finally put some order into the border situation. Uh, they weren't inhumane. He was trying to actually be humane and try to keep kids out of the hands of cartels and human traffickers and uh, to be able to keep families together. And he was literally working to keep families together in Central America, not have them separated out, not have kids trafficked. And for that, he's being criticized and attacked. And I would tell you, being down in Arizona and talking to Border Patrol there and Customs and Border Protection, uh, it's pretty remarkable uh, what is happening now on the border versus what was happening just a few months ago there. Let me just give you some stats. As of Sunday morning, U.S. Border Patrol was holding 4,200 unaccompanied migrant children in short-term holding cells, including jail-like stations, unfit to house minors. That, according to government records reviewed by CBS, nearly 3,000 of the children in CBP custody have been held longer than 72 hours. Why is that significant? Yeah, it's significant because uh, obviously the uh, accusation from Democrats to President Trump was that the uh, that he was putting kids in cages and keeping them. But somehow those exact same facilities, they're calling humane detention and temporary holding space. Uh, but when it was that exact same facility, uh, when President Trump was there, he was keeping kids in cages. So it's the hypocrisy of what's going on. But also the folks that are there along the border would tell you, hey, we're not set up to handle kids. And, and when I say kids, by the way, the vast majority of when they talk about kids are 16 and 17-year-old males. When I was there and asked directly, okay, we talk about everyone 17 and younger, who is it really that's coming? Overwhelmingly, the number of 16 and 17-year-old males that are connecting with an uncle or aunt or a cousin who's already illegally present in the United States. They're already, they want to be able to connect with them. They've lined up a place for them to be able to work and to be able to live. And they've contacted them and said, right. come and uh, they're coming. And when they get across the border, literally if they get one toe across the border, uh, then it suddenly they've got to be able to connect them with folks inside the country in this Biden, in this Biden uh, method that he's actually trying to execute now. So I've been to the border three times total. Last time was with the, with, was with the Secretary of Defense and the head of the uh, border protection, and they let me talk to border patrol people. They sure. they let me go to the border in a squad car, in a border patrol car, in an SUV, and then they sat there. And while I talked to them, other migrants walked up, and I say, "Can I talk to them?" They go, "Yeah." And through a translator, I talked to them. You cannot get that access now. What happened? Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty big shift that's actually happening just in the access point. Uh, I actually went. I'm on the Committee of Jurisdiction dealing with border security, uh, so I had no problem getting access to people. Uh, but I, I was able to go to the border, actually go to the wall. In fact, I went to one of the areas in Arizona where construction has stopped on the wall because that's oh. one of the things that I wanted to be able to see is when uh, President Biden said stop out construction on the border, somehow we get this feeling that the wall is being constructed linearly, and so they just kind of stopped and there's an ending point. That's not how it really works. The wall is a wall system, and President Trump said this all the time. It's not just a fence. That's what everybody sees first. Uh, but you've got a border wall that's there. You've got a road on the other side of it so they can patrol it. Uh, they put in ground sensors, so if someone walks across it, it sets off a sensor, and they can get a chance to be able to track them. There are cameras and lights that are a part of that system, so it's a whole wall system. Well, in this area in Arizona, outside of Tucson, which is uh, there, there's a city in Mexico of 450,000 people. This is not just open desert area with no one around. There's 450,000 people on the other side of the border. This fence that's up literally has huge gaps in it because they were building the fence for miles and miles and miles. 
and they were putting in the gates to be able to transition so they can get to the other side and clean it out as they need to. None of those gates have been put up. So the materials are all there on the ground. But there's these huge gaps in the fence for miles and miles because they were in the process of putting the gates up, but all that had to stop. The road there is not finished. The technology is not installed. The cameras aren't there. The lights aren't there. All of those things aren't there. There's no reason that you would have miles and miles and miles of fence except for these big gaps that are all in it unless you want to actually just leave the fence open. I mean, there's no other rational purpose for saying we've already paid for it. The contractor is already there. Why would you want to leave gaps in a fence unless you're wanting to invite people to be able to go through those gaps? Senator James Langford with us of Oklahoma. Senator, do you know politics? It would be so easy for Joe Biden to have said, listen, it's paid for. Uh, We have a situation with a pandemic. I'm going to let them finish what's paid for, and I'm going to stop it. That keeps his left happy. And the right would say, yeah, listen, we, you know, the money is there. So they bought the fence. You either got to pay to store it or destroy it. And you don't put it up. It makes no sense. It's against America's interests. But you mentioned Arizona. There's another problem. We're in a pandemic. The mayor of Gila Bend, I might have said that wrong, but it's just no, it's not necessarily on the border. His name is Chris Riggs. Cut 10. At this point, what we're looking at is we're a very economically depressed community. We can barely afford to take care of the people that we have here in our community now. And as of uh, the second, Border Patrol advised us they're basically going to drop people off here and do sort of like this, and they're your problem. And we just do not have the ability to care for these people. They're not able to give us how many. They can't give us what the background on these people are. They can't tell us what their health issues are. I've got a lot of seniors and elders that are very susceptible to COVID. What does he do? Yeah, he he is in a bad spot. He's stuck because uh, the Biden team has reinstituted catch and release. Uh, that it's a situation where adults, and these are not minors that are coming in. These are adults coming in that if they say they want to have asylum, uh, they can say, okay, well, we'll just go ahead and release you out. And they'll literally take them to a bus station, uh, like in his town, and we'll drop them off right there at that spot. And we'll say, okay, you can catch a bus ride to wherever you want to be able to go in the country and then show up two years from now at a court hearing. Uh, but in the meantime, sure. Term, they're literally just living in this town that they just dropped them off at, and uh, and they put them on the street and say, "Have at it." So they're in the country. They have they if they've had a COVID test at all, it's been done by some outside organization. Uh, and as we know, many of these individuals may test uh, negative one day, uh, but they've been early exposed, uh, and then they may test positive two days later. There is no real tracking that's going on uh, with this, and so it's not just a COVID issue; uh, it's also a bigger problem. With this that's why the one of the biggest fears of the Border Patrol right now is the Biden team is going to change what's Title 42 authority gets thrown around. Right now they have the ability, if someone crosses the border, to be able to turn them right back around and say, for health reasons, we're going to turn you around. If they drop that, it's going to take a bad situation and make it catastrophic on the border. So not only it's fixing the fence, but it's really keeping the, the, the Trump policies in place uh, that will help lower the number of uh, people illegally crossing the border. So, Senator, what? So, I know you wanted to see the fence, 
and you described a lot of in response to my questions. But overall, when you go up to your constituents in Oklahoma, what are you going to tell them about this? Because it's not the first crisis we've had at the border. To me, it's the first time I see an administration not admit it's a crisis. President Obama admitted it was a crisis. He flew the vice president to Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador, and talked to those governments about controlling their population. But he wouldn't even go to the border. So what are you going to tell the people of Oklahoma? Yeah, the people of Oklahoma think a, a fence makes common sense. Uh, and everyone that says, well, if you got a 30-foot fence, you'll get a 31-foot ladder and get over it. Everyone says that, that's a really cute little saying, except for if you've got a 31-foot ladder, that slows you down to come to it and gives Border Patrol enough time to be able to get to you and to be able to do an introduction. We know fences actually work. And the Border Patrol will tell you fences actually work. So that's number one on it. It just makes common sense to be able to have that barrier. The second thing on it is that literally day one of the Biden administration, he canceled the emergency on the border and said there is no emergency on the border and canceled that with an executive order. Then, so help me, five weeks later, he just announced that he is uh, calling in FEMA to come help with the problems at the border. Well, hello, what does FEMA stand for? Federal Emergency Management Agency. So he one day says there is no emergency, and then a few weeks later calls in the emergency management team to be able to go manage what's happening at the border, but he refuses to call it a crisis. But clearly, he sees it as an emergency, what he used to not see, because there are major problems that are brewing there, and it is just the beginning. There are thousands and thousands of people that are coming towards our border trying to be able to work through this. And when I uh, brought up with Mayorkas, the new head of DHS, and said, what is your message to the migrants that are coming, his response to me was, I, I would tell them to wait, not yet. Well, not yet not means yet. go to them and of to the counties that are smuggling people in to say, we're going to let you in. Just give us a couple of weeks before you before you come. Uh, they've said, right. OK, now is the time to be able to take off. Here's what Ben Cardin said yesterday about infrastructure caught on mic, a hot mic with the secretary of transportation. But ultimately, it's going to be put together similar to how the rescue plan is put together. It's got to be at the end of the day because they're most likely to have these reconciliations. He's saying that infrastructure is going to be done through reconciliation. I thought Mr. Come Together, I represent all Americans, was going to be bipartisan in infrastructure. So does that mean you guys should even try? Ben Card's going to jam it down our throats? Yeah, there's, there's only one way to do a partisan infrastructure package, and that's if you know you're going to put something in it that is so toxic and is so lefty and, 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 and destructive uh, to the future of our country uh, that they realize no Republican is going to join it. Republicans are passionate about infrastructure as well. We all fly. We all drive on roads. Uh, we, we, we're out as well. We understand the basics of infrastructure in our country and know that's a federal responsibility. So you don't find Republicans opposed to infrastructure. So there's only one reason they would try to do a partisan infrastructure package, and that's if they know they're really going to put some toxic liberal agenda in it. I just don't know if reconciliation qualifies under infrastructure. No one's giving me a clear answer because it has to be financially oriented, correct? That's correct. That's correct. It has to be about debt or it has to be yeah. about spending. You can't put policy in a reconciliation package. So if you're going to do uh, infrastructure, there's lots of policy issues that deal with infrastructure. They're going to try to just load this up with money and in all likelihood do a huge tax increase in it that they'll try to say, this is how we're going to try to accomplish this, is this big tax increase. 
and they already know that Republicans are going to are going to say that's the wrong way to go. Oh, so then it will qualify for reconciliation. If they if they just did a tax increase and straight spending, right. yes, they could actually, but they can't do any policy in it as well as they learned quickly on the fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage. That's really a policy thing they tried to say was budget related. And they tried to get a bridge in Buffalo, and they tried to get a transit system in San Francisco, and that got rejected too, right? Well, actually, that didn't get rejected. Uh, we just called it out so often that eventually Schumer and Pelosi backed off of oh, it. Oh, I thought the parliamentarian and, uh, pulled that out. Yeah, yeah I would say they, they were a little embarrassed eventually uh, to be able to uh, – their own side was trying to have a hard time defending that bad spending and that earmark that they had stuck in, along with a lot of other stuff. As, as you know well and your listeners know well, the COVID package was not about COVID. Uh, we had already done five COVID bills bipartisan in the last year. We understand the need, and we could have done a six COVID package, but it wouldn't have looked like this, and they knew it. Senator, thanks so much for uh, reaching out, and then, of course, coming out and telling our audience exactly what you saw at the border. Nothing matters more. Senator James Langford, thank you. You bet, Brian. Thank you. Back in a moment. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. We recognize this is a big problem. Uh, The last administration uh, left us a dismantled uh, and unworkable system. And like any other problem, uh, we are going to do everything we can to solve it. That is such crap. There's no way that was an unworkable problem they were left with. Margaret listening online in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Hey, Margaret. Good morning. Well, I was stunned to see also, as it hits Louisiana, they're stopping something like 80,000 acres of drilling in Louisiana. Leases are canceled. Yes. Wow. Absolutely. And that's my business, oil and gas. And how is that going to affect you immediately? Um, Well, at the moment, uh, it will help me, which I do not want, because I don't want to see the gasoline prices go up for all of the Americans. Uh, I'm broke in the oil and gas business, but that came about with Trump. So I wanted them to expand this and take care of all the Americans. 
Yeah, it's it just why would anyone do this? I mean, why don't don't you want the country to be successful? Don't you want credit for dollar eighty cents gas? Don't you want credit for a growing uh, an unemployment rate below three percent? Wouldn't that help you get four more years for your party? Absolutely, absolutely, I agree with you. You know, I'm only one person. I'm fighting for the life of my country. Why would I want to hurt it? They are, and between that. The border, the cancellation of the pipeline. Think about not building the wall. Five to ten thousand jobs out of commission. It's anti-American. This is not. This is not an agenda that helps the country. I've never seen that before. Thanks so much. Sorry about what's happening in Louisiana, Oklahoma, in Texas, and all these other oil, Wyoming, and all these other uh, gas and oil states. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West is next. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. People they've caught in the last few days are over there in Sector 3 or Monument 3 have been on the uh, terror watch list. Individuals that they have on the watch list for terrorism are now starting to uh, exploit the southern border. We need to wake up. We need to understand, listen, Mr. President Biden, you're an okay guy. Why don't you just admit you made a mistake with this policy and go back to the way it was and keep America safe for all of us? The door should not be open, and we should have immigration the right way. So Congressman Katko of uh, of New York is down there, and he said, I'm seeing the Mexican border. Not only am I seeing people flood across the border we can't, we don't know anything about, but I'm seeing people we do know about, and they're on the terror watch list. I remember when Joe Biden uh, said what uh, Congressman Katko told him to say. Remember? He said, if I make a mistake, I'll admit it. Cut one. That's why when I announced, I, I quoted Franklin Roosevelt. He said, I'll give it to you straight from the shoulder. The American people can handle anything if you tell them the truth. And they really can. Just give it straight from the shoulder. And when we do something right, we're going to make a case for it. And when, when I make a mistake, I'm going to own up to it and say it was me. Right. I made a mistake. And that's what I'm waiting for, because this is a huge mistake. To say it's not a catastrophe, to blame Trump is just flat out wrong. One of those border states is Texas, the biggest border, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West. Colonel, is it time for Biden to say live up to his own words? Well, it's more than time for him to live up to his own words. It's good to be with you, Brian. I mean, we've got 1,200 miles of border that we share with a foreign nation. That's Mexico. And we're seeing the uh, state of Texas, a sovereign state, being destabilized. As a matter of fact, the decision was just made here with the uh, Dallas City Council, which is a Democrat city council, that we're going to have 3,000 of these uh, migrant, uh, illegal immigrant males that are going to be here in the K. Bailey Hutchison uh, Convention Center. So they're getting inside the uh, the state of Texas. And so, yes, they have made a mistake. They are trying to blame the Trump administration when they were given a secure border and their policies, their open border policies, which he has done by executive order, has completely destabilized the uh, the border situation here for Texas and for the United States. I want you to hear uh, a little bit more what uh, Congressman Katko said, because this really disturbs me, because they're not replacing Border Patrol, who are running, coming into tenure now or coming in time which they can retire, and they're being worn out and they're not being replaced. And uh, here's, here's what they said, cut for. They're taking money from 
the future payments down the road uh, later in the year of uh, Border Patrol salaries and Border Patrol pensions just to try and pay for the surge that's going on right now that was caused by this president. And they're hoping for supplemental, but that supplemental doesn't come. I don't know how the heck we're going to even pay these guys. So what are we going to do? Well, that's a great question to ask Jen Psaki. Maybe she'll circle back on that. And it's a great question to ask the president of the United States of America. Look, President Biden's administration sent a quote-unquote delegation down to the border uh, last week. They didn't meet with anyone. Uh, they didn't have a press conference or anything, and they went right back. And I don't think that they have done any type of debriefing with President Biden on the border situation. And, again, if, the, if he wants to see firsthand, he should, instead of running around talking about the $1.9 trillion of wasteful spending that, to bail out blue states, he should be down there at the border getting an assessment. Or Vice President Harris should be down there at the border getting an assessment and seeing what is going on instead of sitting back and uh, really dismissing it. It would help. I want you to hear. So with Governor Cuomo, and we're going to get to that shortly, with you have seven accusers of him. You have 15,000 nursing home deaths. He told us there were five. Uh, with everything that's being looked at with him and his behavior, which is there are people are coming out of the woodwork uh, with complaints and direct uh, allegations. And a four-hour meeting yesterday, listen to The View. And you might say, well, I don't listen to The View. Well, a lot of people do during the day. It's been around for 25 years. Listen to this. What worries me is that if he resigns and, you know, fast forward down the line, a Republican becomes a governor of New York State, <clears throat> a lot of things will happen that I won't be happy with. And I don't want some Republican coming in there and overturning some of these policies and then exonerating or pardoning Trump. We're talking every week, uh, feels like practically every day, uh, about Cuomo, yet we're not talking at all. Uh, about uh, Governor Death Santis uh, in Florida. We're not talking about uh, Governor Abbott, I believe, in Texas. Uh, we're not talking about the South Dakota governor. And I think as members of the media, um, we, need to, we need to examine that. Why? You want to give them credit? Yeah, it's pretty uh, laughable, again, this hypocrisy. When you look at Gretchen Whitmer, who is now under investigation, you look at the uh, governor there in New Jersey, who's under investigation. New Jersey. You look at Gavin Newsom. Yeah, New Jersey. And Gavin Newsom, who is uh, about to be recalled. These are failed governors. And, of course, if this was a Republican governor in New York with all of these allegations that are brought against him, they would be screaming. They will be saying this guy needs to go. This guy needs to be put in jail, under the jail. Think about how they treated Brett Kavanaugh. So it all comes back to one thing. It's all about politics. And when you look at Governor DeSantis, Governor Christy Noem, Governor Abbott, they have not done anything near nefarious and anything near as possibly criminal as we have seen with some of these Democrat governors. And oh, by the way, they're the ones that are beneficiaries of American taxpayer dollars because of this boondoggle $2 trillion spending package that is going to bail them out because of their failures. So there's a special election over in Texas, <laughs> as you know, to replace mm -hmm. uh, Ron Wright. Um, yes. So there is now 11 Republicans and 10 Democrats, a libertarian and independent, have filed to run on the May 1st election. Uh, it's the sixth congressional district. It's, it's been controlled by Republicans since the 1980s. Biden came within three points of flipping the district, which made up of Dallas, Fort Worth suburbs and more of a um, Ellis and Navarro counties. What is at stake for you uh, to keep that seat? We know that every Republican wants to, to win, obviously. But what are you looking for as someone who charged the Texas GOP? 
Well, I don't think we'll have any problem keeping that seat, especially when you understand and look at the things that have been passed out of the United States House of Representatives under Nancy Pelosi's control. Everyone's concerned about H.R. 1, which will basically nationalize federal elections, H.R. 5, which will almost criminalize our pastors for believing in the Judeo-Christian faith heritage and uh, elevates the LGBTQ uh, ideological agenda over our freedom of religion and freedom of speech, H.R. 8, which basically criminalizes and turns legal law-abiding American gun owners into felons, and you have other pieces of legislation there. So I don't think we want to see a single uh, seat uh, going to a Democrat, especially out of the state of Texas. So it will stay a Republican hell seat. Are you worried that $1,400 in their bank account, they'll say, who gave me that, Joe Biden? I'm going to vote for his party? No, I think the people here in Texas want to get back to work. They don't want to be economically enslaved to the uh, federal government, and they don't want to look at the pittance and the scraps coming from Joe Biden. What they want to do is they want to get their small businesses back open. They want to get their lives returned back to some semblance of normalcy. Well, we'll have to, yeah, we'll have to see about that. I get it real quick on Afghanistan. The May 1st deadline is coming up, and the latest proposal we hear from Anthony Blinken is a uh, and the Biden administration is a cooperative agreement between a co-power sharing agreement between the current Afghan government and the Taliban. We have about 3,000 uh, men there now. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the Allen West solution in Afghanistan going forward? The Allen West solution is not to have a power sharing agreement with a barbaric uh you know, I can't even savage uh, Islamic terrorist organization. I was there for two and a half years. I know who the Taliban are, what they stand for, and what they will do to people. I think the thing is that we continue to have a strike operations type of force that can work with the Afghan government and the Afghan military to be able to keep the Taliban from having a sanctuary. And therefore, also, ISIS and Iran or some of the other Islamic terrorist organizations that may seek to uh, take advantage of the situation in Afghanistan and have a base of operations. All right. Uh, I think we have to have a presence there. We had uh, Ian Bremmer and a lot of Republicans who say these endless wars got to stop. Colonel, you're a guy that fights the endless wars. So where do you stand? Well, you know, again, I, I would say you go back and look at how long we uh, were in, you know, uh, in Europe. Uh, look how long we Korea. were in Japan. Look at yeah, Korea. Uh, I was in you know, Korea in 1995, and that was, what, 40-some years after the end of the Korean War. So I think that it is always important to have a presence as long as you have an enemy, a dedicated enemy that is still trying to advance their goals and objectives. Having a presence is not a big deal. It's not about an endless war. It's about being able to maintain strike mm-hmm. operations and keep that enemy off balance. You know what I find interesting is there's a little bit of a crossover between sober-thinking Republicans and Democrats. I even see a lot of Bill Maher's monologues where he's so concerned about cancel culture. He's so concerned about the ability to be incorrect and keep your job and your livelihood. He's actually speaking out. The latest one is Sarah Silverman, a left-wing comedian, but she's had it with the Democrats. Listen to this. Cut 44. It's the absolutist-ness of the party I am in that is such a turnoff to me. It's so elitist you know for something called progressive it allows for zero progress it's all or nothing i don't know that i want to be associated with any party it comes with too much baggage every party it comes with so much baggage that no ideas can be taken at face value and without ideas what are we and i'm seeing more and more of this 
listen, you're never going to agree with Savage Silverman, but she wants to talk. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want to be canceled. Mm-hmm. Do you want to, Do you get that too with your Democratic friends? Well, absolutely. I mean, think about the suburban soccer mom who was told that, you know, orange man bad, and you don't need to vote for President Trump. Now, all of a sudden, she is concerned because someone has made the decision that a gender dysphoric biological male can be competing against her daughter on the soccer field. And that's not something that she voted for. So I think that the left has far overreached. And there are many people that are looking at this and saying this is destructive. But yet, Brian, this is socialism. This is communism. This is Marxism. This is totalitarianism. This is exactly what we were trying to have the discussion about. But now that you don't have President Trump, now that you don't have a target that they can focus their narrative against, they're completely exposed, and people are seeing these things. I mean, canceling Speedy Gonzalez, Pepe Le Pew, Dr. Seuss, give me a break. People are not for this. Absolutely. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, uh, chairman of the Republican Party, Texas GOP. Always great talking to you. Thank you so much. Have a great week. You got it. one 408 7669 I Actually, I think we could probably pull uh, over the, the, this week a lot of Bill Maher cuts. And a lot of times Bill Maher is saying the same thing that we're saying, that you're saying when you call in. And yet I know most of you don't agree with him. You don't watch his show. But he's a comedian who enjoyed taking in debates. And now he's worried about, well, am I going to get uh, get some type of text messages from my manager saying, I lost my job? Uh, hence the last one, The Bachelor. Wasn't even his issue. Chris Harrison is gone. Is it Chris? Yeah. I don't want to watch The Bachelor, but I know everybody else does. Back in a moment. Honest commentary. Unique opinions. No agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. And everything on here, one way or the other, points to physical separation. Whether it's no crowds, whether it's six feet, go out, wear a mask, stay six feet away from anyone. When you're outside, stay at least six feet apart from someone. I think if you stay six feet apart with masks, you can do whatever it is that you need to do. Every aspect of that ending the COVID outbreak in 30 days has some aspect of it of physical separation, whether that's avoiding crowds, whether that's staying six feet away from people. So that is Anthony Fauci saying six feet. Okay, six feet apart. We we heard that over again. I think, I think, um, uh, I'm just trying to think who the country music artist who just sang uh, six feet apart became like a number one song, six feet apart. Um, I cannot believe I'm, I'm blanking on his name. But it turns out six feet apart is just a random number made up from 100 years ago when we had the last pandemic. And the six feet apart is the reason why kids can't get into classrooms, is the reason why your gyms have been converted to other classrooms, why some people go remote, why maybe you can only your kid can only go to school at 1 o'clock and then the next half of the school goes in from 1 to maybe 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock. And then they do this study at the University of Massachusetts, and it turns out 
Three feet apart is just as good as six feet apart. Why does that matter? It matters everything in sports, everything on the line at Costco, everything when it comes to um, when it comes to classrooms, when it comes to gyms, gyms. Remember they told us about surfaces. You got to keep the surfaces clean, and if you got to wipe down anything before you touch it, and if you're going to go into the supermarket, wear gloves. Then it turns out you really can't get COVID nineteen from surfaces. There's never like, oh, my goodness, we have this new discovery. i got to back off. We're all in this together. No, it's you get condemned for not doing it. You get besmirched for delaying it or questioning it. And then when it comes out, a study reveals that perhaps they were wrong. There's no, wow, I was wrong about that. So here is Anthony Fauci confronted with this study with Jake Tapper on Sunday. There's this new study from researchers in Massachusetts just out this week. It found no significant difference in coronavirus spreading in schools where there was six feet of distancing versus three feet of distancing. But that six right. foot requirement, that's one of the main hurdles to reopening schools. Right. Does this study suggest right. to you that and three feet is good enough? It does indeed. It does indeed. So to pretend, you know, I have a theory, too. I have a feeling if I just said, Anthony Fauci, as you know, a new University of Massachusetts study came out, and it turns out, uh, whatever I want to say, uh, it turns out uh, they incur, if you have a vaccine, uh, you're allowed to go into groups of 50 to 60. He would agree with me. I don't think he knows half of what he's talking about. There's no possible way he could do his job and be on television and be a part of the briefings like he is. I've never seen a bigger a bigger uh, iconic figure who stands on nothing, who, when it comes to COVID-19, has almost no victories. So Tucker brought this up last night. Now, we talked about it during the day. I was stunned to see this study. I was excited that CNN brought it up, of all things. And then Tucker put it in his monologue last night. Cut 31. Six feet from each other. That was social distancing. It was the law, and most of us followed that law. But where did that law come from? Who did the scientific research that determined six feet was the safest distance apart from other people that you could be? Somebody should have asked that question last spring. But as far as we know, nobody did ask it. It turns out the research that formed the basis of that law came from a German hygienist called Karl Flug. It was Flug who decided that six-foot separations were necessary to slow the spread of pathogens. The CDC went with Flug's judgment. What the CDC didn't tell us was that Carl Flug had been dead for 100 years. His research on social distancing was published in the 19th century, before most Americans had electricity or indoor plumbing. How unbelievable is that? Is that crazy? And he's out six feet apart? I, I just don't. I don't understand where this stuff comes from and that Anthony Fauci is still looked up as the all-seeing one. So I'll play a little of this. Professor of Stanford University, Jay Bacchichara, on with Tucker last night, Cut 35. Yeah, I mean, the WHO said three feet, actually, near, near the beginning of the epidemic. And, you know, if you really want to minimize the, uh, the, the transmission probability, you should probably be 20 feet or 50 feet. Right. I, I mean, it's ridiculous, right? Yeah. I mean, you could just back away and just sit by yourself, but then the psychological damage, we're all seeing that. And three feet is fine. Getting vaccinated and going out is fine. They say give it an extra week, they'll do it. 
Michael, is he right or wrong? I think he's right. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, around the world, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We got Britt Hume standing by. It's going to be great. Josh Holmes used to be uh, chief of staff for Senator Mitch McConnell, future of the Republican Party, as they try to get a hold of this Biden agenda. They are just smashing things down America's throat. I don't think it helps our country. I don't, I'm not even sure it helps their agenda, unless their agenda is to destroy the country. And then we do a simulcast with Stuart Varney, and that is coming up in about 45 minutes. That's uh, FBN, the number one show over there. So before we go any further, I know that Joe Biden's going to be out beginning his tour of taking a bow for getting $1.9 trillion into the bloodstream. A lot of people are getting the 1400 bucks. That's going to be a plus politically for now. Uh, and maybe uh, it'll be overrun by what's happening at the border, our immigration system. Our border is being overrun. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Last summer, Dr. Mark Eskett, the medical director for the Austin Public Health System, put it this way. I know that at three feet, there's about an 80% reduction of the transmission of the disease. So it's not actually new information. It was ignored information. And we made policy on the basis of bad information. Uh, That is uh, Tucker Carlson pointing out that now it's three feet apart, not six feet apart. And that is uh, unbelievably impactful for things like schools, gyms, Costco. And I did not know this, but it was a Massachusetts study that is now being embraced perhaps by Dr. Fauci. I'll play it for you. Number two. I think he, he resents the idea that he was the understudy of Barack Obama for eight years when he was a senior statesman. And now he's going to go down in history as the one progressive that really did get the Obama agenda through in a way that the more heralded and charismatic Obama never did. Man, I hope he's wrong, but it sounds like he's right. Victor Davis Hanson weighing in on Joe Biden's agenda. It gets scarier by the day. Uh, looming infrastructure, purely party lines, massive oil and gas lease cancellations. The Green New Deal might be intact as AOC wrote it in crayon and defense cuts rumored and a combination of tax increases coming down our throats. Look out. Number one. We recognize this is a big problem. Uh, The last administration uh, left us a dismantled uh, and unworkable system. And like any other problem, uh, we are going to do everything we can to solve it. Jen Psaki, really? Out of all the problems you have with Trump, you have to make one up? Kids, cartels, and chaos. That's the lethal mix for the border as the Republicans jet down to see for themselves, and it's worse than anyone thought. And their answer is blame Trump. So let's bring in Britt Hume, who's seen it all, reported it all, Fox News senior political analyst, and the founding member of Special Report. That would have been a test pattern if Britt didn't say, I have something better, and boy, was he right. Britt, welcome back. <laughs> Hi, Brian. Nice to, nice to talk to you. Hey, Britt, with all the things they can blame President Trump for, they had to make one up at the border. Does that resonate with moderates and Democrats? Because I know Republicans know better. Well, the partisans on both sides will will take their expected sides, but the people who are affected by this down on the border, it seems to me, 
are the people who are worth listening to, including, for example, Congressman Henry Cuellar, who's a Democrat, yep. who's not clearly not buying the idea that this is no crisis. It's an obvious mess down there. It had been, you know, the the, the Trump administration sort of thrashed around in a number of ways to try to try to straighten the situation out, and they finally hit on a combination of of policies and actions that were working. And the situation on the border was pretty calm, uh, and, and the you know mass migration nor- to the north had been had been largely quelled um, when Trump left office, and Biden came in and just kind of willy nilly undid all the actions and policies, or nearly all of them, that the former president had put in place, and the result is the expected consequence of what they've done, which is a terrible mess down there, and they're not trying to blame it on him, but I don't think people who you know follow this carefully will buy that. Well, I tell you, you got nearly 3,000 of the unaccompanied children in Customs and Border Patrol protection over 72 hours, which is a violation of the law. At the K. Bailey Hutchinson Center over in Dallas, uh, it will be used for the next 90 days for teens between 15 and 17. And I understand, according to the Border Patrol numbers, there has been over 4,200 unaccompanied migrant children in short-term holding facilities. So nearly 3,000 in one area, 4,200 overall. And we have this thing called a pandemic. And not only are the numbers astounding, Britt, but what makes it different in a time in which you're scorned for not wearing a mask outdoors— and you're told you can't go to your kid's away game because it's too dangerous? We're allowing people to come from five other countries, maybe more. I think 26 countries have been represented across our border, obviously not tested. Yeah, that's, that, that is inexplicable. And I, and I think you know palpably indefensible. There's no way that you can say that this is that this is a good policy or a good plan. It just it can't possibly be under these circumstances. And no, this is this is the first crisis of the Biden administration, the first real crisis. Um, and it's interesting to watch what's unfolding here, Brian, because you know the president has had practically nothing to say about it, and it's testing us an interesting question, which is. Can you really ultimately protect a president um, from a policy failure by keeping him out of the public eye, at least, or, or from adding anything to the public discourse about this? I don't think you can, but we'll see. They're certainly trying it, and I don't blame them. You know, this president is is an elderly man now. He's palpably senile, and, you know, this is an understandable condition for his age. Um and, you know, can he really get through this just by laying low? Right. We'll see. Well, I'll tell you what. I talked to George Schultz, I think it was five years ago. He was almost 100, and he could have probably run the country. So it depends on who you are. Well, it, uh, look, it affects, it, it affects different people in different ways. Yeah. And you have good days and bad. Look, I'm the same age as Biden is. I'm forgetful, too. I know what it's like. And saying someone is senile, by the way, is not a medical definition. Senile is a perfectly uh, uh, widely used colloquial term that means showing the effects of age. He manifestly is doing that. Um, and I think that's one reason why there's been no news conference. Absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, how, how much longer this can go on without the public thinking, wait a minute, something's wrong here. We need to hear from him on this. This is his problem. He needs to address it. It remains to be seen. So I want you to hear what Joe Biden did say. So no more use guys said I'm going to be a president for all of Americans, even those who didn't vote for me. And then he said this, cut one. That's why when I announced, I, I quoted Franklin Roosevelt. He said, I'll give it to you straight from the shoulder. The American people can handle anything if you tell them the truth. And they really can. Just give it straight from the shoulder. 
And when we do something right, we're going to make a case for it. And when, when I make a mistake, I'm going to own up to it and say it was me. Right. I made a mistake. Let's hear him say I made a mistake. The Remain in Mexico policy was working. Getting rid of uh, Proposition 42 was a mistake. Not dealing with the triangle countries was an error. I'm going to get my, uh, my State Department down there immediately tonight. This is an opportunity, Britt, isn't it? Well, it would be, but like I say, the thing you have to, that you can, it's almost visually uh, obvious that what Biden is worried about is saying anything or doing anything that would appear to vindicate anything that Donald Trump did. I know. The motivating force behind his election, the motivating force behind Trump's loss was the, was the loathing of Trump, in, not only just in the Democratic Party, uh, but in much of the country. And this is the force that elected Joe Biden. And he doesn't want to do anything that would suggest that, well, Biden got, you know, why Trump got this right. Um, my reversal of his policies was a mistake. I think that's more than he thinks that his political support would withstand. Right. Uh, and for the record, uh, there was not a crisis in October. There was a crisis after the election because I know what Joe Biden ran on and a more humanitarian uh, uh, border policy, and he'll stop the wall immediately, and they end up with T-shirts crossing the border. Do you remember seeing many Trump T-shirts crossing the border? Donald Trump let me in. I'll give you a second, Britt, because I know you say your memory's not good, but I, I will back you up. There was none. I'll make it easier. Yeah, I, I don't remember ever seeing that because, you know, if it had happened, we would have seen it for yeah. sure. So I want you to hear what Ben Cardin said yesterday, because when it comes to infrastructure, many people thought the rescue package could be bipartisan and infrastructure. They even told Donald Trump you can get some Democratic votes on this if you did it first. So now they're saying since Republicans do want to get some infrastructure done, maybe this is an opportunity. But listen to what Ben Cardin was caught on a hot mic saying to Pete Buttigieg, the secretary of Trans, uh, transportation. But ultimately, it's going to be put together similar to how the rescue plan is put together. It's got to be the MNJ because they're most likely have these reconciliations. Yeah, they're probably going to be with you at the point. So what he said is, ultimately, you're going to put together similar to how the rescue plan was put together. It's got to be, at the end of the day, reconciliation. The Republicans will only be with you a little bit to a point. So he's saying, we already know the goal. You know, Ben Cardin knows. He's senior member. That's where this is heading before it starts. Well, that's right, Brian. And I think that, you know, the thing that if you're concerned about this breathtaking levels of spending, and by the way, I'd like to make a point about that, uh, is being said in response to complaints about these these unbelievable sums of money, you know, borrowed money that are being thrown at this problem this, in the so-called COVID rescue bill, that, that, well, Donald Trump and the Republicans were were wild spenders all doing his term. That is not a good argument for continuing that. I mean, Trump was reckless in his spending to some to a considerable extent. The Republicans went along with him, but that's a poor argument for continuing that. Um, so, and that's kind of where we are. And and the Republicans are now beginning to worry about the deficit spending. Um, uh, and and the and the Democrats can see that. They might get resistance on another big spending bill, and certainly our infrastructure plan would entail that. So what they're doing is they're they're planning to do it the same way they did it uh, on the COVID nineteen bill, which which was to do it through reconciliation, where you don't you, where you you only need a, a bare majority. And I think that is obviously where we are now. 
I guess so. Uh, if they do find a way to rationalize using reconciliation because infrastructure isn't finance, correct? So that shouldn't be for it, simple yeah, 50 votes. The, the issue is budgetary. So you can make a case for, for actions that have budgetary impact uh, to, be, to be passed under reconciliation. And you know we've seen that time and time again. They'll do that on, you know, they'll do that on the tax bill too. Now, that's finance, but, but you know, arguably, nearly everything involves finance because you got to pay for it. Uh, I'm would... not sure it'll wash, but that's what they'll. That's clearly what they uh, intend on at least trying. Very interesting. Uh, real quick on Governor Cuomo, he now has a considerable amount of headwinds coming up against him. How about 26 federal lawmakers, 135 state lawmakers, all calling for him to step aside or being be impeached? The Assembly's using now to begin debate on an investigation for impeachment articles. And now we have a four-hour interrogation or or interview with one of his accusers that took place yesterday with the Attorney General. But yet when I'm looking at the Siena poll, which Siena is a college right by Albany, 43% still give him a favorable rating, and only uh, 34%, 34% would still reelect him, and only 35% said he should resign. 50% say he should not resign. I can't, I'm in this state, and I can't believe what I'm hearing with seven accusers and 15,000 nursing home, nursing home deaths. What about from the outsider perspective? Well, you know, this is the shoe on the other foot disease, isn't it? I mean, you know, when when you know when some conservative like Brett Kavanaugh is in the hot seat, then it's you know it's off with his head. Um, but when a Democrat, particularly a prominent Democrat like Andrew Cuomo, comes along and gets in the same kind of faces the same kind of accusation, indeed far more substantive accusations, I would submit. Of course, um, everybody everybody has you know starts talking about due process. Now look. I personally am uncomfortable with with railroading him out of office when there's an investigation underway sure. um, to determine what happened because we can. It's perfectly reasonable for him to ask that we let let the investigation play out. Uh, but it does illustrate, you know, how people's standards shift uh, depending on who's in the dock. Right, uh, Britt, uh, I'm going to get killed by my producing team, which which is close to 30 people. I don't even know all their names. But the Washington Post did a correction. It goes on for paragraphs and basically an apology to Donald Trump for getting a huge story wrong and saying that he made a phone call and had certain things that he said on that phone call in Georgia in between the, the uh, that Senate special election and the Senate for both Senate seats. And uh, an election day. The Washington Post points to correction. Among the things they wrote, the recording revealed that the Post misquoted Trump's comments on the call to this Georgian official. Based on information provided by the source, Trump did not tell the investigator to find the fraud, nor did he say you would be a national hero if you did. Instead, Trump urged the investigator to scrutinize ballots in Fulton County, asserting that she would find dishonesty there. What a different characterization as opposed to a president threatening a state worker. Have you seen anything like this? A six-page, wow, we got this wrong, and we have CNN authorities saying We've corro- we have corroborated that story. Your thoughts? Well, it's, it's, it's typical of the, of the age we live in in this business. You know, when, when Donald Trump was elected, um, the national media, much of it, maybe arguably most of it, treated that development as a national emergency, 
requiring that the normal standards that used to apply in journalism be suspended for the purpose of getting rid of this man. Uh, and they all, you know, I, I've always believed that, uh, that this, a lot of this uh, can be traced back to Watergate, the most glorious moment in the modern history of journalism, in which these two yep. young reporters from the Washington Post, by the way, um, did reporting that led eventually to the unseating of a president of the United States. Right. That was that drove that brought into journalism so such a big romantic exciting story. Uh, people who might not have considered it as a career before, because it showed how much power even individual journalists can sometimes wield. And we have today we have journalists who are intent on wielding their power, and they wanted to wield it to get rid of Donald Trump. Got it. And a lot of standards went out the window, and the result was there was some very bad reporting done. The headlong, insistent coverage and this is of the, way the Trump-Russia right. thing was one example. This is one more example. They believed, and they were, of course, perfectly willing to believe anything about Donald Trump because they so hated him. Britt, can't thank you enough. Uh, unbelievably informative, as usual. Uh, Britt Hume, thanks. Your I'm call's next. Best to you. Back at you, Britt. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Let me try to get Joe in from WABC. I went a little long in that segment. Joe, you're in the Bronx. You're talking about the border, though, right? Uh, yes, that's correct. Because uh, as you're well aware, uh, we now have a, a very dire crisis at the border with regard to, what, 13,000 unaccompanied minors uh, now in U.S. custody. Uh, and again, you know, whether they're minors or whether they're adults or whether they're MS-13 or any other nefarious elements that might be coming across the border, you know, with a porous border and no controls over it, these people are coming with no health screening whatsoever. And at a time when we have a deadly pandemic with our most vo- most vulnerable citizens, our elderly, people with respiratory conditions, etc., being exposed to COVID, you have no idea what these people would be carrying. Absolutely. And again, They're on us. And, and, they don't want us walking around without a mask. I can, you know, you exactly. can't go to a movie theater where there's more than 10 people in it, but we're allowed to go to the border and see thousands Exactly. And with regard to catch and release, it is just criminal at this stage in the game when we have 500,000 dead Americans Americans from COVID-19 to simply release people into the population who probably will never come back to get their court dates because that's what catch and release is. And Joe, on top of that, don't don't complain about spring break. At the same time, don't worry about the tens of thousands coming across our border illegally from nations we know nothing about and people we know nothing about. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.
information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. You raise our corporate tax rate from 21 oh, to yeah, 28, and it may go higher to 30. Right. That's going to be non-competitive. We will lose money. Cash will leave the United States. It's exactly the reverse of what happened in the Trump years yeah. or the Reagan years or the JFK years. This is nutty tax policy, but it will hurt prosperity and jobs. And small business, big time. And when they look at the corporate tax rate, they're like, well, these big companies can afford it. Well, these big companies made up for people of all different levels, and they, all weren't, they weren't sinking down below what other countries have. They were making themselves competitive by sinking at 21%, somewhat at 19%. But that was part of the tax reform that really benefited the economy before the pandemic. Uh, no one has to tell that to our next guest, Josh Holmes, former chief of staff of Senator Mitch McConnell. That, of course, Larry Kudlow, who engineered a lot of that tax tax, uh, tax policy. Josh, are you concerned about these so-called uh, tax increases that are on the table that haven't been announced yet from Joe Biden? No, absolutely. How you doing, Brian? Good to, good to talk to you this morning. No, I think that that is the biggest uh, outlying thing that's getting the least attention, which is the prospect of tax increases on a whole bunch of small businesses across this country that have basically bootstrapped every possible way to get through a pandemic, you know, and, and meeting that on the backside with a tax increase is, is, will be fatal. I mean, it'll be fatal for hundreds of thousands of small businesses, millions of people that, that are employed that way throughout the country. They always like to focus on the corporations, but, you know, to be honest with you, their tax policy actually benefits the wealthy more than anything. It's the, the people who are making, you know, the, the, a good living in small businesses trying to, to climb the economic ladder. They're always just completely blindsided by Democratic tax policy. Here is more from Cudlow. Cut 23. Trump's tax cuts, and I want to say particularly the tax cut for corporations and small businesses, those benefited primarily the middle income and the lower middle income, you can look at the Census Bureau numbers, the Federal Reserve numbers, they got more growth in their income and wages by far than the top 1%. And don't forget, don't forget the salt tax damaged wealthy people also. This business about paying their fair share, the way you get upper income people to pay more in taxes is lower their tax rate. Not only will they have investment incentives, they will also have no tax avoidance. So he's going to raise the corporate tax rate from 28% to uh, from 21% to 28%, raise income tax rates on individuals earning more than $400,000, and expand the estate tax, create a higher capital gains tax rate for individuals earning $1 million and more. That according to Bloomberg. So this will be the biggest tax increase since 1993. I can't believe we're talking about a tax increase in the middle of a pandemic. At least he told us we're in the middle of a pandemic. We might have permission to have a cookout on July 4th. So I assume that means we're in a pandemic. Yeah, yeah no, I know. It, it, the thing is, that's so mystifying and irritating about this, Brian, is, is what we just discussed. The fact that Americans have, have literally done everything they can do to economically try to get through a pandemic and they've helped their neighbors, they've helped their communities, and we've, we're, we're getting to the back end of this thing. And what's met on the back end is this just completely ideological list of Democratic priorities that have nothing to do with improving the lives of the American people and everything to do with achieving these like far-fledged socialist dreams of, of governing in Washington and the centralized government. 
it's it is terrible. I mean, th- there has to be a real grassroots movement across the country tuned into this to stop it because you know, frankly, as they just showed with this first COVID package, Democrats are going to vote for for every single possible piece of legislation that comes down the pipe, no matter how much damage it does. Well, do you think all of them, I mean, your ex-boss, Senator Mitch McConnell, instead of we're trying to whip his caucus together, does he have to go up to cinema? Mark Kelly, Joe Manchin, uh, uh, the Angus King, and say, guys, are you kidding me? Uh, are you really going to go along with this? Yeah, Absolutely. He has it, and he will, as will all of his colleagues. But really, I mean, the only thing that matters here is their, is their constituents. You know, I mean, if people in Arizona and West Virginia and Maine say, you know, we're never voting for anybody who ultimately backs this sort of radical uh, realignment of, of priorities, you know, then, then they'll start to get the message. And I, I think we're just now beginning to get tuned back in politically here after the November election. I think people are starting to pay attention. And there's going to be a lot of political peril for these Democrats who follow this fast. Perhaps. Uh, but if you give someone 1400 bucks, uh, Josh Holmes, are they happy? Are they going to say, who gave me that? Oh, President Biden? I'm, I'm going to vote for him and his party. I think most people find it totally condescending. I mean, the idea that you can buy somebody's vote with 1400 bucks that you're forever indebted, you know, that gets you through a month, right? What next month? Boy, it sure would be nice to have a job, which is totally antithetical to the policies the Democrats are trying to put into place. And people are smarter than that. You know, I mean, I think Democrats have a very uh, cynical view of the American public, that everybody's just sort of too dumb to understand how it is that we make a living in this country and how we build communities and, and make uh, our economy work. They believe that everybody's just sort of, you know, completely reliant upon this big government to tell them when they can go to work, whether their kids can go to school, who's an essential employee. I mean, that's nonsense. I mean, I don't, I don't know anybody like that. And I think most people across this country would say that that's an incredibly cynical way to look at the American public. So the filibuster uh, for things like immigration, for things like HR1, get overturned. That's the only way this would pass. I'm not even sure it would pass, but that's the only way. Would you agree? Yeah, no, that is the only way that it would pass. You know, the funny thing is, Brian, you look at what Democrats have been trying to do. H.R. 1 is a pretty good example, right? The, the first bill that you, that you release in a new Congress tells the American people what your number one priority is, right? Federalizing elections. Priority, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, health care. It wasn't education. It wasn't COVID relief. It wasn't any of the things that they say. It was about trying to centralize power behind elections um, in the federal government so you can preserve a Democratic majority in perpetuity, right? And, and, and that's really what they're trying to do, whether it's H.R. 1, whether it's – I don't know if you've been following what they're doing with Iowa in the 2nd Congressional District. Trying to overturn a, a Republican one seat that won by six votes. Yeah, that, that's right. I mean, the irony of coming out of uh, what we went through last fall and the stance that Democrats took about the sacrosanct – uh, state's ability to certify elections, and then all of a sudden, uh, oh, that's only the case if a Democratic wins, right? If a Republican wins, uh, we completely challenge that. And so, yeah, this is all about preserving power so you can do things like raise taxes on everybody to, to have a centralized government to tell people what to do. It's just absolutely terrible. How does this look? I see James Clyburn and Axios today talk about the filibuster. He said, let's not get rid of it entirely. Let's get rid of it. I would say do it, uh, do it for only certain things. We'll call it the Mansion Cinema Rule on getting around the filibuster, and we'll do it just for as it relates to race and civil rights. 
So really, so we're going to lift the filibuster for race and civil rights, reconciliation for just budget issues. Uh, how does that work? Well, it's incredibly dangerous. Um, I mean, it's just incredibly dangerous. But I also say, you know, we've been down the road of trying to change the filibuster for select things, right? I remember when Harry Reid in 2012 said, we're only going to change the filibuster as it applies to cabinet nominations or executive nominations. And they expanded that to federal judges. And subsequently, I remember that at that point, uh, McConnell told him he was going to regret that sooner than he thinks. And sure enough, two years later, it was changed to, for Supreme Court justices. I think if there's any change to the filibuster at this point, it's completely gone. And what it means is that it, the American people are going to be victim to huge swings in federal policy based upon who wins elections. It's dangerous. It's what? bad for the country. Uh, it's, it's awful. I agree. Uh, real quick, on immigration, Jen Psaki knows exactly who to blame. Cut to. We recognize this is a big problem. Uh, the last administration uh, left us a dismantled uh, and unworkable system. And like any other problem, uh, we are going to do everything we can to solve it. Really? It was, an un- it was yeah. a massive, unworkable uh, uh, position? Really? It hurts. It honestly hurts my head to hear that. It, it, it's, it's so dumb. It's so bad. I mean, say what you will about the Trump administration and their policies on immigration, but they had a lot of them. And they had a very aggressive border policy that included building a wall. And, and throughout the campaign, Joe Biden and his Democratic cohorts would try to convince people that there was no crisis. There was no problem. There was no need for a wall. There was no need for any sort of uh, crackdown at the border. And then lo and behold, he becomes president, and all of a sudden the crisis exists, right? And the same facilities that they were calling concentration camps under Trump are buzzing with seven times the, the amount of people in it uh, than there ever were under President Trump. It, it, it's, it's, it's nonsense. Right. So, Josh Holmes, congratulations on your podcast. The Ruthless Podcast announced a special Sunday program. Their competitors in the second annual Liberal Hack Tournament, NCAA-style <laughs> contest, pitting members of the liberal left against each other. Josh, thanks so much. You got it, Brian. You got to submit your bracket. I will. I promise I will. There's a lot to choose from. <laughs> I think you need more than 64 teams. Coming up next. <laughs> NIT this year. All right. Good. Oh, wow. Uh, FBN host Stuart Varney next. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Yeah, in a few seconds, I'll be joined on Stuart Varney Show, Varney and Company, and I'll be talking about something you heard yesterday, and that is Cardinal Dolan of New York, uh, right here at St. Patrick's. Uh, but he was talking about parochial schools. And what's happening is the Catholic schools went back to school. Why? They will lose all their students. They've already. Uh, Cut the amount of students in half. So let's listen in together. And there's some volatility again this morning, down 14%. 188 is your quote. Right, it is now 10.51. That means Brian Kilmeade will join us on camera. Brian, you sat down with Cardinal Timothy Dolan. I want our viewers to see a brief soundbite of what you had to say. Roll tape, please. 488 New York City schools are finally going to open at the end of March. You opened in September. We listen to people. 
We listened to the healthcare experts who said, you can do this. Our teachers said, we want to teach. We want to be back. We want to be in person. And our parents said, please let the kids come back. And you know what? Did you ever think you'd live for the day when the students would say, we want to get back to school? So we listened to all of them and we stayed open. Brian, congratulations. Great interview. But my question is, did Cardinal Dolan have a problem with the teachers' union? Because that's the problem in the public schools. No. Uh, and, you know, the Catholics, uh, they might have some type of union. I don't think they do. Uh, that's a good question. But they got back to school, and they talked to all the teachers individually, and they all came back. And you're talking about every Catholic school in the New York tri-state area went back. And I think around the country they went back. And get this. You'll love this. Every Catholic school that opened up with a public school within close proximity opened up quicker because competition. They were seeing the kids go to school across the street and others in hybrid learning or fractured learning. They said, we got to do that. And they started transferring out. Now, immediately when the pandemic hit, people said, well, I lost my job. I don't have the money. I'm going to not pay that $5,000 or the $10,000 for high school. Well, they found a way to help people with, to, uh, with the uh, admissions, with the tuition to get in there. And then they opened up. And then when they found a way to do that, then you have a situation where all the students went back and they went from a 6% loss. They've already added another 5 to 6% in their, uh, in their enrollees. And this looks even better for next year. Why? Because the parents are invested. Number two is the kids seem to like the discipline. They have the religious aspect and they have history where they're not mocking American history. And they're not doing that thing, don't call your mom, mom and dad. And that whole woke culture, it's scaring the heck out of New York residents. And maybe people watching from around the country. I, I, I would be intrigued to see, maybe one year from now, how many kids are actually back in the classroom five days a week in the public schools? My guess is that there's going to be a shrinkage of those students in the public schools, and they're going to go to private, they're going to go to religious schools, they're going to go to parochial schools. Competition is going to not bleed the public schools dry, but take a lot of their students away. You with me? Stuart, I'm speaking to the choir when I say this, but, uh, but you know, Cardinal Dolan said, look... There's a certain amount of money that goes to your kids because you're paying taxes. And that money follows the public schools. And that goes there. And if you go to a Catholic school, I need more money. He's saying, no, let me decide what to do with that money. And if you do that, Catholic schools go back to the 1970s level. But the fact is, when you're already paying school taxes, and then you got to write another check to the Catholic or the parochial yeah. school or the private school— that's too much for a lot of middle-class families and working-class families. And Cardinal Dolan is saying, let them have control of their money. And then you watch these teachers' unions get into line. And you'll see the competition it, flatten the playing field. It'll never happen, Brian. It'll never happen. The teachers' union will never allow that kind of shrinkage of the public school system. And neither will Bill de Blasio. Well, I mean, in New York, but I'm talking this nation. And if it's going to happen in a place like Texas, why not? Maybe it's going to happen in a place like uh, Florida. Why not? Maybe it's going to happen in a place like Tennessee. Why couldn't it? Where they're going to say, we're going to, uh, you elect me governor, and I'm going to control these funds, and I'm going to give you control of that 7000 a year you're putting into school systems. And I think in my, in, on Long Island, I think it's up to maybe in the 20000 I'm putting into school taxes uh, a year. It's through the roof. But to Long Island's credit, and just so everybody knows, it's just a part of New York, this upstate, they're back in school. 
and they have a hybrid option, yep. but they're back at school. It's New York right. City that's been tortured. Yeah, and the parochial schools returned to school uh, in, in September of last year, I believe. Yeah. And the public schools have not. In the city, in the city, that's where we are. What a situation. Brian, thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure. See you again real soon. Go get him, okay. Stuart. Thank you. And then we just share audiences with uh, Stuart Varning. We have a, a few minutes left on the other side, which is, uh, which is so true when it comes to the school system. If you want to get people angry, you, I've never seen California parents as angry. We had San Diego parents on yesterday and today. They are actually unifying to get Gavin Newsom to open up the schools. So when the governor turns around and says, open up schools, you know what the union said? Yeah, I don't think so. They want to get everybody vaccinated. Now they say that we're not going to tell you if we get vaccinated over in Illinois. It's part of the same thing that they're doing. They're, they're exerting control. But I just think they're clueless in understanding they are, uh, they are uh, not hearing the outrage from parents. When you can't go to work, when your kids are stunted, when they are depressed, I think 20 percent, depression rose 20 percent. Along with everything else that comes with the emotion of not going to school, not interacting, um, I mean, give me back the old days of not liking that teacher, not liking to do gym, getting cut from a team. Those are normal stresses. There's nothing normal about this. And that's what I think got a lot of people nuts. But also speaking to Cardinal Dolan, too, I think that what's really alarming a lot of people, not the so-called woke left, but I think what's alarming a lot of people is what's happening with history. And when you tell me Lincoln is not worthy to be on the front of a school, a statue of Washington doesn't belong to the University of Washington, when you even say Senator Feinstein, who evidently had a grade school named after her, isn't good enough, while she's served over 20 years in California because she may have had one vote that you didn't like, that is nuts. It is all crazy. Hey, go to BrianKilmeShow.com, get the podcast anywhere. And if you want any of my history books, we're up to six. Go to BrianKilme.com and I can sign and send. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at FoxNewsPodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Thanks Kilmeade. so much for listening, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade coming to you from New York. Heard around the country, heard around the world. Ken Cuccinelli at the bottom of the hour. If you want to know what's going on the border, he's been living that for the last four years and is watching it all fall apart. It must be agonizing. Jason Chavis, the former congressman from Utah, will be joining us shortly. Fox News contributor. And uh, before I get to the big three, a quick announcement. I'm looking forward to Saturday. Dana, uh, uh, Dana Perino has written a number one bestseller already on Amazon. I'm sure it's going to be high on the list, if not number one overall. It's called Everything Will Be Okay. So with that, it's the first live event I know of, period, that's not in a car. It's actually in a theater since the pandemic started. I'm going to be interviewing her, bringing out some of the elements of her book, which is excellent. Everything Will Be Okay, the name of it. Uh, VIP tickets with autographed copies still available. Just go to floridatheater.com. It's over in the Jacksonville area. So everybody listening to WOKV over in Orlando, WDBO, over in Gainesville and uh, Fort Lauderdale. I, I hope everybody, we have so many great stations over in Florida, will make the trip Saturday. I think it all starts. Just go to floridatheater.com and get your tickets. Uh, so that'll be great. Hope to see everybody in person. Tickets selling great, by the way. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. 
Last summer, Dr. Mark Eskett, the medical director for the Austin Public Health System, put it this way, I know that at three feet, there's about an 80% reduction of the transmission of the disease. So it's not actually new information. It was ignored information. And we made policy on the basis of bad information. Uh, that is uh, Tucker Carlson, of course. What are we to believe when it comes to COVID-19? Six feet apart? Ooh, I mean three feet apart. Don't touch that unless you have gloves on. No services. You can't really transfer things through services. Lockdown, only way to handle this virus. Well, not really true when you look at places like Florida and Texas and how everybody languishes in lockdown, like in Europe, California, and New York. I am so tired of Anthony Fauci and company telling us what's right when so many times they are wrong. Number two. I think he, he resents the idea that he was the understudy of Barack Obama for eight years when he was a senior statesman. And now he's going to go down in history as the one progressive that really did get the Obama agenda through in a way that the more heralded and charismatic Obama never did. Hoover Institute's Victor Davis Hanson, military historian too. Biden's agenda gets scarier by the day. Looming infrastructure on purely party lines. Massive oil and gas lease cancellations. Unbelievable tax hikes. Defense uh, cuts are rumored. A combination that would blow up an nation on a time bomb fashion exploding when biden bails out perhaps number one we recognize this is a big problem uh the last administration uh left us a dismantled uh and unworkable system and like any other problem uh we are going to do everything we can to solve it kids cartels and chaos that's the lethal mix of the border as republicans jet in to see for themselves how bad this crisis is the biden administration's answer blame trump and no one's buying it welcome into the show uh congressman jason chaffetz uh jason welcome back hey thanks for having me i mean are you surprised they're playing the trump's full card when it comes to the when it comes to the guy who built the wall who had the Remain in Mexico policy, who cut the deals with the Triangle Nations. Is there anything you cannot – they can't get away with that, can they? No, they're not going to get away with that. That is their default position on just about everything. But that is a ridiculous notion. If uh, one thing that Donald Trump achieved as president was locking down that border, making it more secure, and then you saw the numbers go down and he wouldn't allow or or create this magnet that Joe Biden and, and Kamala Harris have done by saying, hey, come on in, you know, we're just going to let you go. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's human trafficking. It's human trafficking. That's what's so sad about this. And I I don't believe that the American people are buying what Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are trying to say, that it was Trump's fault. Well, I mean, look at your your former congressman, maybe the next speaker, Kevin McCarthy, at the border yesterday, incensed about what he saw. Also, and you compare that to what they're warning us we're not allowed to do when it comes to this coronavirus. Cut seven. In a time when the president will keep our country closed, one maybe we have hope for a 4th of July to get together just with our family. How much spread of COVID is he creating every single day by his policies along this border? It's wrong, and it has to end, and it needs to end now. Do you think that matters to the administration that the Republican delegation went down there? Um, I, you know, I think it's important for the for the leaders, particularly Kevin McCarthy, be able to say, look, I've been down here firsthand. But now you have people like Henry Cuellar, who's a Democrat, who is the representative on the Democratic side of the aisle on the border talking about what a problem this is. Like the, the current administration can't even admit that there's a crisis. They can't seem to say the word out loud. But yet they're sending in FEMA. So come on, they don't send in FEMA just because, you know, things are getting a little bad. They send in 
FEMA when there's a crisis. And look who else is coming across the border that's been confirmed they've eyeballed them cut nine. The security and safety of Americans are the number one issue that a president should have. And these policies that he has changed had made us less safe. And what's happening is not just about these young children that, as a father, it breaks my heart to sit there and look at them and think that they risk this. We talked to one family from Honduras. We asked them how long they've been traveling, 22 days. You want to know why it was 22 days? Because 30 days ago they heard what President Biden said, and they decided to make the trek. And they also talked to others, cut eight. I just left a few border agents, and I asked them, who are the individuals you're catching? Yeah, they're from Central America. But you know who else? Iran, Yemen, Sri Lanka. When I walk through the facility, there's more Haitians than any other nationality I saw. And why were they coming now? You ask the border agents, they were shocked themselves because they're being released into the country. Right. There you go. By a lot more money, by the way. The Haitians have to pay almost double as Central Americans. So what they do with that money, Jason, uh, they put it, the drug cartels put it to buy more drugs and get more contraband across the border. How, how could they not see this? That's why we call it human trafficking, and it's sick and disgusting. When I was down there and talked to Border Patrol agents, I said, how many of these you know, young women and whatnot are raped? And they said, oh, more than half. Oh, maybe close to 100% of them. I mean, it is disgusting. To, and it's so sophisticated what these drug cartels are doing to the point they're actually putting wristbands on them so that they can uh, scan them and understand how much money they owe, if their family owes money, um, where they're going, what they're doing. And they know all they need to do is get across the border, find a border patrol agent and hand them over. And then they get released out into the into the country. It's just wrong. So looking at the Biden agenda, I'm looking at the one point nine trillion dollars. I'm thinking about the executive orders, the stop of the pipeline, the stop of the wall, uh, what the what he's doing uh, internationally. And then I see what he has queued up, and that is tax increases from 21% uh, corporate tax to 28%, which, by the way, affects small businesses, increasing the real estate tax, uh, as well as capital gains. Listen to what Victor Hansen summarized and believes, uh, surmised and believes now. Cut 28. I think he feels liberated to the degree that he is aware of it, that he's going to be a one-term president. He's not going to run for re-election. He doesn't really care, uh, I think, too much about the midterm elections. He feels that through executive orders and a very thin margin in Congress, he can get this agenda through. And the agenda that he's going to get through is, I think, evident from his executive orders on the border, on energy development, on foreign policy, on appointments. And I think he, he resents the idea that he was the understudy of Barack Obama for eight years when he was a senior statesman. And now he's going to go down in history as the one progressive that really did get the Obama agenda through in a way that the more heralded and charismatic Obama never did. The problem was, I thought President Obama was to the left. I was convinced of that after eight years. Yeah. I wasn't really convinced that Joe Biden was way to the left. I thought he was center left. So what, what do you conclude from that statement? Do you agree? I think, well, Victor Davis Hanson is one of the smartest human beings there is, so I generally try not to go yeah. uh, against his understanding of history. But at the at the same time, I think conventional wisdom was that Joe Biden was going to be a little bit more to the center. But there are also those of us that are concerned that he's not the same Joe Biden he was even just a few years ago, that there are puppeteers and others within the bowels there of the White House 
that are pulling and pushing a lot of these strings. And I think they recognize that the Democrats have the House, the Senate, and the presidency, and they can use that tool called reconciliation where they only need 50 plus one vote to pass through an agenda and that they're going to do that. Barack Obama chose Obamacare to use use reconciliation to get through Obamacare, which was, I think, devastating to the country. Joe Biden, it looks like, massive new spending. I mean, spending we have never seen before. It's going to drive up the debt, but then also uh, tax increases. And so, yeah, that, that's the direction they're going. I'm talking to Jason Chaffetz, his upcoming book is called They Never Let a Crisis Go to Waste, The Truth About the Disaster of Liberalism. And now you have this. Even though the economy is back, getting its footing, we have trillion dollars unspent. He just put $2 trillion more into the bloodstream and gave a lot of these lockdown states billions of dollars when they already were in a surplus. I'm talking about California, and I'm talking about New York, believe it or not. Now, in New York, it's drilled down a little bit. Their governor, who is the golden boy uh, and Joe Biden's idol and a longtime family friend, now has 26 federal lawmakers and 135 state lawmakers. I believe that number's even up. Calling for his ouster, calling for him to step aside. uh, And you see some panic as nobody wants to be seen with him. Democrats or Republicans. The Assembly Speaker, Carl Hasty, on Monday told reporters the Assembly last week moved to begin an impeachment investigation. And you know, the most powerful Democrat in the Senate side also called for him to step aside. But Jen Psaki says that Joe Biden still will not comment. Cut 40. Like everyone who as continues to read stories, new developments seem to happen uh, every day. Uh, we find them troubling. The president finds them troubling. Hard to read. Um, And uh, every woman uh, who steps forward needs to be treated with dignity uh, and respect. Uh, The New York Attorney General is uh, pursuing, of course, an independent investigation against Governor Cuomo. And that is appropriate. And the president believes that's appropriate, as is the vice president. So even as the mayor and others call for his ouster, uh, where do you stand, uh, Jason, knowing that everyone deserves due process? You do deserve uh, due process, but at the same time, you also are there to serve the people of New York. And there he is paralyzed at this point. When you have the two Democratic senators of the state, when you have the state assembly moving the direction you're, you're going, when the, the media has, has uh, you know, exposed what's going on here, when you have the credibility of these women, at, at some point you have to be able to say, you know, maybe I need to step aside so that others can do the good work that's needed. It just does. I mean, when you're writing a book during the pandemic, accepting awards, and then all these revelations come out, it's somewhat of a distraction from the fact that they also have probably the most scandalous part of this, uh, this, this, uh, what's going on in New York about the nursing home deaths. It doesn't even get talked about, and yet there are thousands of people that allegedly were put in this, in this precarious position that perhaps led to their death. And guess what, Jason? Uh, Governor Wolf of Pennsylvania, Governor Murphy of New Jersey, and Governor Whitmer, for a different reason, for giving financial incentives to nursing homes to take back infected patients. The others just decided to do it and were warned in writing that this could cause mass deaths, and they did it anyway. This is going to get even bigger uh, among Democrats. I was talking to Governor DeSantis last week. He goes, yeah, I saw some of those directives. I'm not for that. I'm not even doing that. And when they told him to hit first responders first, he goes, no, I'm taking care of seniors first with this vaccine. So the great leaders of uh, on the Democratic side fell on their face and now getting caught. Final thought? 
they they were passing legislation or pushing for legislation or executive orders that limited these liabilities. You got to tie together the campaign donations. But I think this should be the lead story. This other thing is important uh, with the sexual sexual scandal. But you really got to look at the nursing homes because that affected everybody in the country. Got it. Uh, thanks so much, uh, Jason Chaffetz. Good luck with your book. I think it's when's it coming out. Uh, April 6th. Wow, that is soon. Uh, They never let a crisis go to waste. Uh, We'll talk to you again, Jason, at length about the book, The Truth About Disaster Liberalism. Jason Chavitz, go get him. Thanks, Brian. All right, when we come back, your calls, 1-866-408-7669. Then Ken Cuccinelli, the reality at the border. We'll take that on, and we'll talk about uh, the Cuomo situation, the controversies. Guess what? Sienna did a poll. You're not going to believe what they said about the governor's future. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to, to your, your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Florida was 27th in terms of death uh, death rate, and California was 28th. Uh, the difference is uh, that Florida is completely open, and you know the governor of California, Kim Jong Newsom, has imposed a Stalinist <laughs> crackdown on uh, on businesses. I mean, people you can't go out; you, they shut down beaches. Outdoor dining, uh, schools, you have kids who are, you know, have been, who are basically having learning losses that are going to reduce their lifetime income, particularly poor and minority kids. So the costs uh, of the outcome, COVID outcomes are the same, but the costs are just enormous for the people of California. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And it continues. They can't get the kids back in school when, you, when the governor says something, don't do it. And now the governor's got to worry about being recalled. So all he's doing is talking politics, acting political, and of course he blamed white supremacists for the reason why he's being recalled. Meanwhile, 33% of the people who signed, the 2 million who signed to have him recalled, they only need 1.5, I think, the 2 million that signed were non-Democrats. Doug, K-L-I-N in Lincoln, Nebraska. Hey, Doug. Hey, Brian. How you doing today? Great. What's on your mind? Hey, uh, on the first part of your show, you were talking about the teachers and kids getting kids back to school. We're here back in Nebraska in the Midwest. We're back in school. And how long? I think, well, you, how long have you been back with for most for the most part? Almost. Um, I want to say for the most part six seven months. Great. Our our schools have actually sat down and figured it out. That, okay, we're going to have these dividers for our kids, and we're wearing, yeah, we're wearing masks, and we have to have our kids wearing masks all day long. But like your, uh, and I forget if he's the bishop or whatever in New York, Cardinal, for your parochial schools, he's pretty much looking in the face of uh, the unions of public schools and saying, get off your duffs, and here's how you do it. And that's what needs to be done. And our, our teachers are working with our legislators and stuff. To where we're working it out. Do you guys play sports? Yes. We just got done with boys' state basketball. A week ago, it was girls' state basketball. You allowed to go to the games? Uh, yes, we are, if you're a family member. But, hey, that's that's cool. You're allowing your family members to go to the games. Yeah, okay, you're 25%, but, yeah, at least it's something. The kids are actually out there 
um, kind of living life, for lack of a better way to say it. Yeah. Uh, does it worry you what's going on you know, in Florida with the spring break? I haven't been paying much attention about that. It looks like spring break. How's that? Does it really? Yeah. We'll see well, what happens. Uh, thanks so much for the call. Uh, Doug, over in Nebraska, uh, hanging in there. The kids back in school seven months. They're playing sports. They're not doing that in Illinois, Chicago specifically. They're not doing that in New York City. They're certainly not doing it up and down the coast uh, on the West Coast. They are doing it in Texas. They dropped everything. Oklahoma dropped all restrictions. We hear about Nebraska dropping all restrictions. My goodness, there's a mask. Uh, you wear masks in Connecticut, but everything else is back to 100%. Nobody wants to talk about that because Ned Lamont's done a real good job. And a lot of people in New York and New Jersey are going, you know what? I think I'm going to go over there. Uh, listen, we got a lot more to discuss. I'm going to do it with Ken Cuccinelli. We're going to get the reality uh, reality check on the border and so much more. And also going to hear from a comedian, a left-wing comedian who's had it with the Democratic Party. Brian Kilmeade Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Border security and legal immigration go hand in hand. We are compassionate people. We do not want to see overcrowding in our spaces. We do not want to see families make dangerous treks across countries that they don't understand and put themselves at risk. What we want to do is we want to attract the best and the brightest that this world has to offer. And we want them to come in a legal fashion. And we can do that. But that first starts by supporting our border security. Absolutely. It's not hard. Congressman Tony Gonzalez of Texas, seeing the chaos of the border, stunned by what we're seeing. I mean, the numbers are unbelievable. Nearly 3,000 of the unoccupied, unoccupied unaccompanied children in, in CBP protection have been held for more than 72 hours. That's a violation of the law. Overall, 4,200 unaccompanied migrant children are in short-term holding facilities, which they say aren't bad, but they're filled to the gills. Now, uh, for 90 days at the K. Bailey Hutchinson Convention Center, uh, you'll see 15 to 17-year-olds. Thousands are going to be held there. They're calling it a decompression center because they have no answers. FEMA is now part of it. They have caused all this. But you'd never get that from listening to them. Ken Cuccinelli is the chairman of the Initiative for Urgent Reform to ensure free and fair elections. Man, do we need that. And former Deputy uh, Secretary of Homeland Security. Uh, Ken, welcome back. Hey, good to be with you again. Ken, how, uh, how surprised are you that we're at this place again? Well, it, in one sense, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, this is what Biden ran saying he was going to do. We all knew the radical left would push him way over there. And in fact, he's doing it during the transition. We told them what stripping away all of these um, immigration elements that we had built up over the years would do. And, and that's exactly what's happened. So in that sense, while it's all shocking, it isn't at all surprising. It was not only predictable, 
We predicted it, and we said it out loud. We said it publicly, and they ignored it all. Well, guess what? And, and, and you know, Brian, what, just one short comment. It's easy to destroy a system. It's hard to build a system. And they came in and just destroyed the system in place to protect America against illegal immigration. That's and they not did what, it very much that, on purpose. That's not what they said. Listen. We recognize this is a big problem. Uh, the last administration uh, left us a dismantled uh, and unworkable system. And like any other problem, uh, we are going to do everything we can to solve it. Really? So you left them a mess. You're just in denial. Exactly the opposite. Yes. And, and what did they do? They took away um, all of the foreign agreements. We're talking like a dozen foreign agreements with Northern Triangle countries and Mexico. They just wiped them off the board. How is that uh, building something? That's dismantling something. That's tearing down. And that took a long time, years to put in place with uh, international uh, diplomacy all the way up to the president's level. You'll remember two years ago, Brian, when the president was being very tough with Mexico publicly in the Northern Triangle countries, and lots of Republicans, not just Democrats, were saying, hey, this may be too tough, and you know, maybe we shouldn't push this hard. And the fact is, what we ended up with were the best working relationships we have ever had with those four countries in resisting illegal immigration, ever. So let and me ask this you. This administration how, came in in days, tore it all to pieces. How did it? Uh, how did it get like that? Because it couldn't have started worse. Remember, Mexico was going to pay for the wall, and they, their leader at the time said, "No, we're never going to do that." Then the meeting was called off. Next thing you know, Arbador gets elected, a socialist who wasn't supposed to gel with the president, and they end up getting along famously. You get the Remain in Mexico policy and Marines on the southern border. Bring us inside those talks, and maybe how to to ignite them again. So coming out of 2018 and into 2019, those discussions uh, about Mexican cooperation really heated up. And um, now we were always willing to provide some money for things like um, housing support and other things that Mexico would do with, with the population they would end up keeping in their country. But, part, but the most important thing that they were doing in the in addition to holding people in their own country instead of them coming into the United States, was they started patrolling their southern border with significant numbers of their own law enforcement. Um, they also added, by the way, to our southern border, their northern, which is largely controlled by drug cartels. So that that was a real, you know, that was a real change, a major change. But MPP, the Migrant Protection Protocols, or the Remain Mexico program, essentially had Mexico holding all of these Central American families and adults for us because we didn't have the facilities to do it, as you're seeing as they let them all in with no facilities. So they, those relations that President Trump built, and he was very personally involved in all of that, uh, played incredible dividends uh, over the coming year and a half, two years. And that's what these folks came in and literally within days just tore it all apart. Yeah, it's um, it's unbelievable what is happening now, and it's probably only going to get worse. Isn't it true, Ken Cuccinelli, that things really pick up when the spring turns to summer, when summer becomes sizzling yeah. down there? But now it's more than tolerable, and, the, and now the, the perfect weather is coming up shortly. 
Yeah, so right after the Christmas and New Year's holiday is when historically things start to pick up for the year. And you're right, Brian, as you head into the spring, the numbers keep accelerating. But if you look back one year, there were no caravans, none last year. Why not? Because they knew they weren't going to go anywhere. They, In many instances, because of the cooperation with El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala, they didn't even get out of their own countries in 2019. And so they threw in the towel on that. This year, it's de rigueur again, and the smugglers are advertising. They literally advertise. They do radio ads. They do social media advertising. They tell these people how much they care about them, which is, of course, a load of baloney on a good day. Um, they don't care about these people at all. It's, it's not a safe journey. But they come and they pay uh, what amounts to most of their life savings to these smugglers, and the drug cartels get some of that money as well because they control the border from what the it, Mexican side. What happened to the money set aside to build a wall that they're not building? Well, that's still being determined. They're trying to, to turn it to other uses, but it was already appropriated for the wall. I think there's a legitimate basis for those border states to sue to have those appropriations actually spent for that purpose. And uh, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, Ken Paxton in Texas, uh, Mark Burnovich in Arizona have not been shy about uh, protecting their states against these problems, including using litigation. They're the attorneys general for Texas and, and Arizona, of course, you know, but for your listeners. Ken, I want to talk to you about what you, this initiative that you're chairing could not be more important, urgent reform to ensure free and fair elections. Number one, let's keep it right. the states in charge. That H.R. 1 would put the federal government in charge of elections. Takes over everything. Takes the whole thing over for the first time in American history. I think the founders kind of knew what they were doing, and maybe we ought to trust them to that. To your point, Brian, let the states run their own elections. And every state is different. You know, you're not going to run things the same way in Massachusetts that you run them in Hawaii. And there's no reason that that should be forced on them. It also blocks any learning that happens in the states. Uh, it's a it's a terrible wiping out of all state law or nearly all state law in how to run elections. It's a terrible Washington takeover. And unfortunately, it would enshrine so many of the practices that we saw and expand them from this last election cycle that gutted Americans' confidence. We, all we want is fair and transparent and secure elections that are accessible by all participants equally. Why is that too much to ask? But H.R. 1 crushes that opportunity. And the opposition in the House was bipartisan. We hope the opposition in the Senate will be bipartisan. Yeah, we'll see. 34 states are moving on their own. They keep on saying to Stacey Abrams, we might even have a cut from yesterday, Eric, if you could dig it up. She keeps saying that Republicans want to go out of their way to stop uh, minorities from voting. And the perception is because you want voter ID, because you don't want massive uh, mail-in voting, unexcused or unsolicited. Here's what she said. I think the focus should be on protecting our democracy. We know that January 6th was the opening salvo in an attempt to roll us back to Jim Crow era. We are watching seven times the number of bills permeating across state legislatures than occurred in 2020 during election year. And we know that the U.S. Senate, much like the U.S. House, has the sole responsibility under the elections clause of the U.S. Constitution to regulate the time, place, and manner of elections. 
That is something that we have to accomplish. It would be best if it was done in concert with Republicans, as we have in times past, mm -hmm. when we had to confront our demons and do better by our people. And my deep hope is that we can get it done. But I would say that an exemption to the filibuster for the purposes of protecting our democracy is not only logical, it is fundamental to who we are. So they, she is pulling the opposite direction and mischaracterizing, yeah, well, I think, I, what your approach right. is. Right. And I, I, I agree with like the first six words. We need to protect our democracy. But what she wants to do is open the whole system up to fraud. They, n nobody in America agrees that we should get rid of voter ID laws, for instance. But H.R. 1 forbids voter ID. It requires the pure acceptance of a signature as a, an attestation of who you are. Well, I can go to polling place and, by the way, Brian, you can also they also mandate that states do same day registration, which is a security nightmare and a logistical nightmare. So I could go to poll number one at 6 a.m. in Virginia, say I'm Ken Smith and they can't ask me for an I.D. And I'll sign the, the name Ken Smith, register to vote, go vote, drive to the next polling place at 7 a.m. Say I'm Ken Jones. They can't ask me for an I.D. I can sign Ken Jones, walk in and vote. And there's nothing the state is allowed to do to stop that under H.R. 1. It is truly a setup to gut confidence in our elections by opening it up to fraud. Now, why would they want to open it up to fraud? Hmm. Maybe it's because they believe that they're going to win with fraud. That's the only explanation I can come up with for some of these provisions, which when you just ask ordinary Americans, regardless of party, we'll stay with the voter ID. Democrats, Republicans, and independents all support requiring voter ID. All of them, when you just ask them about that. We all want secure, transparent elections. But what's in H.R. 1, the 800-page monstrosity, is not securing elections. They're relying on this kind of rhetoric that you played from Stacey Abrams to just call us all racist and go after the businesses who support secure elections um, as, uh, as, as it's, it's usually racist. That's what they're calling us all. Right. But in every state I know of that's done things like require voter ID, they've also made provisions for people who would have any trouble getting an ID. I hear you. You got to get an ID if you want a vaccine, right? You got to get a vaccine. You got to get an yeah. ID to get on a plane, yeah. right? So, Go to an R movie. Yeah, I would think. Listen, if you're going to be out, you're overseas. You can't be back on a time. We got it. So that means Florida, Oregon, who do you, is getting good at mail-in voting. They go ahead and verify the address. They send you out a ballot, and then it's up to you. Can't fill it out for you, and that's what a lot of people are doing. Right. Ken Cuccinelli, thank that's you right. so much. Yeah, good to be with you, Brian. All right, 1-866-408-7669. When we come back, we find out if there's indeed a need to know more. It's Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. I think it's time to find out in the last moments of this hour where we, by the way, I have a quick announcement. Uh, I'm going to be in uh, Jacksonville at the Florida Theater. Go to floridatheater.com. I'm going to be hosting Dana Perino. I'm going to be interviewing her about a brand new book. It was number one on Amazon when I got up today called Everything Will Be Okay. Uh, VIP tickets, you have a chance. We don't do any live events anymore. It's been about a year. So go get your autographed copy, get VIP tickets. 
uh, and have a chance to go on stage and do something different on Saturday afternoon. This Saturday afternoon, especially you WOKV listeners and WDBO, it's only an hour and a half away over in Orlando. So hope to see everybody there. Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. Well, the Grammys, I did not watch, and it's called the Collapse of the Grammy Awards Ratings. They got $8.8 million, which is a lot on compared to a cable network, but not a lot for a event that usually gets 18.7 million viewers. The previous low was 17 million viewers back in 2006. Uh, but unlike the Golden Globes or the Emmy Award broadcast, they didn't even have to worry about Zoom. Everybody was actually there. There were performances. Is this shocking? I guess a little bit by how much it did fall, right? There were performances. They were all outside. Um, but they're saying they're not sure what is it due to the pandemic or it's just viewing habits that are just changing. I don't know. Now let's see if the Oscars tank, too. I think people are just done with these award shows. Don't you think they're just done with it? You I know, mean, Trevor they, Noah, he has nothing funny to say. The new Daily Show host. I know. I mean, they have been on the decline. I will say out of the Grammys, it sounds if I watched either, at least you get some performances, right? Unlike the Oscars and the Globes. But, um... I mean, at least the performances were certainly um, eyebrow-raising this year. All right, Oscar nominations are out. Please look on yourself online. Next, I want you to hear comedian Sarah Silverman, who spoke at the DNC in 2016. She, like so many comedians, a left-wing comedian, no doubt, progressive, absolutely. She's had it with the cancel culture. It's the absolutist-ness of the party I am in that is such a turnoff to me. It's so elitist you know for something called progressive it allows for zero progress it's all or nothing i don't know that i want to be associated with any party it comes with too much baggage every party it comes with so much baggage that no ideas can be taken at face value remember she got she got screamed out of the dnc because she was uh, for bernie sanders supporters and hillary clinton was there in 2016 big barack obama supporter she was almost crying it sounds like right her voice was quivering well her voice is always unique but um i would i mean she's right though if you cancel everything what do you have left unless comedians supposed to shock you they're supposed to look at something and then take a different perspective on it you can't exist in this in this atmosphere. But I think the more comedians apologize for it, then they're just doing them like their whole industry damage. Right. Next, Nebraska's governor declares a pro meat day to counter Colorado. Uh, the Associated Press reported Nebraska's governor Pete Ricketts issued this proclamation uh, because he wants to keep meat on the menu day. His statement comes in response to a non-binding proclamation issued by the Colorado governor Jared Polis, recognizing Meat Out Day on March twentieth. Um, I think they got what they want, the publicity here. But, I mean, I'm, I think you'd like the, more of the meat out day than the meat day. I don't want to see the meat industry halted. I just like not eating meat. Next, <laughs> this is my biggest story. I just I picked up that Time magazine issue on the Dead Sea Scrolls. Well, Israeli archaeologists on Tuesday announced the discovery of dozens of new Dead Sea Scroll fragments bearing a biblical text found in the desert cave from Rome, ancient Rome, a Jewish revolt against Rome nearly 19 Hundred years ago, the fragments of parchment bear lines of Greek text from the uh, books of Zechariah and Nahum, I guess I'm saying that wrong, and have been dated around the first century A.D. Based on the writing style, according to the Israeli Antiquities Authority, they are the first new scrolls found in archaeolo- uh, the archaeological evacu- uh, uh, eva- uh, excavation, excavation <laughs> in the desert south of Jerusalem in 60 years. 
I mean, you're only like 100 years from when Jesus lived. This is pretty amazing. It is pretty cool. Right. Uh, and by the way, how bad were they, how scared were they to go in these cliffs and jam scrolls in there? It's a good thought. <laughs> Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.